If our goal is to really wow somebody with that first program and you use all your coolest tools, all your coolest tricks in that first block, you got nothing to do in month two, okay? So the thing that I need you to think about is don't just think about this one program. One thing that I've said for many, many years is that one program is just one program. You can't get all the physical qualities in there that you want. You can't use all the cool exercises that you love. One program is one program. So instead, start to think about the next couple of programs. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are gonna talk about seven simple tips to help you write better training programs. Now, I had not recorded a solo show in quite some time until very recently I released my five things I need to say and I was blown away. I got some amazing feedback from that episode. A lot of people said I need to do more solo podcasts. Bill, my guy Bill Hartman himself, has mentioned numerous times that I need to do more solo podcasts. So as you know, I'm a man of the people. So if you want more solo podcasts, all you got to do is ask. So Today, we're gonna dive in and we're gonna talk about training programs because this is a big piece of what we do. If you listen to this show, you're probably not delivering the workout of the day, right? Where you just chicken scratch down a series of exercises and you give that to all of your clients on any given session. You're actually sitting down and you're taking the time to think out what a given client or athlete needs to help them move better, to help them feel better, to help them shed body fat or build muscle. So. You know, one of the things that's interesting when we start writing training programs and as we evolve our programs over the years is there's very much this bell curve to how we do things. So when we're starting off, we don't know a lot about exercise, exercises as a whole or even program design. So we're limited in the number of exercises we can choose, how we perform said exercises. So, hey man, if all you got is a squat, a bench and a deadlift, like that is the basis of your workout. That's all you know, that's all you have access to. But the longer you do this, you start to accumulate exercises. You start to accumulate different set rep schemes and tempos and ways to layer and combine the exercises into different workouts. And so I think eventually you you reach this apex of the bell curve and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like at some point you realize, holy, like where did this get so out of hand? Why is this so complex? Why is there so much detail to this? And I think that's when you start to realize, hey, look, like I've added complexity and it's not giving me anything back. It's a point of diminishing returns. And so then the back half of that bell curve is where we all start to figure out, okay, hey, what's really important here? How can I streamline this and make it super efficient, super effective without all of the extra stuff that's just added noise, or as Bill would say, added interference, okay? So too often, we're making things way too difficult on ourselves, and the things I want you to think about when you sit down to write a program is, number one, hey, how can I streamline my approach? How can I make this easier? Number two, how can you cut away clutter and focus more intently, right? Because sometimes we get so distracted, and we're trying to chase so many different goals in a workout, we don't end up achieving any of them. And then last but not least, the most important question in all this is, hey, how can you help your clients and athletes get the results they want? 
It's not about showing how smart you are or how many program design articles or videos you've consumed over the years. It's about getting a training result. So the worst trainer or coach on the planet that's never done a Con Ed video, never listened to a podcast, if they're helping their clients achieve great results, like that's not how I would choose to do it, but you can't knock the results. Okay, so that's what we're going to cover here today. We're going to cover these seven simple tips to help you write better training programs. But before we get there, if you want to elevate your own fitness level, if you want to achieve great results yourself with your body and your physique in 2022, I've got something I want to talk to you about. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into the episode. Believe it or not, 2022 is right around the corner and I want to help you make it your best year ever. As 2021 wraps up, I've made it a goal to totally revamp my online coaching platforms. The fact of the matter is I want to help more people than ever before, and that starts with people like you. So if you're interested in getting in the best shape of your life this year, I've got two options that might interest you. Option number one is my private online coaching. Here, we'll essentially take offline training and move it online. We'll start with an initial startup call to learn all about you, your needs and goals. I'll create a custom, personalized program that's going to help you achieve said goals and we'll communicate regularly to make sure that you're on the right track and getting great results. I'm only taking a maximum of five new clients in 2022. So if you're interested in my one-on-one online coaching, send me an email at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com. Now, private coaching may not be for everyone. So if that's the case, I'm also totally revamping my RTS annual program for 2022, and that could potentially be a great fit for you as well. In this program, we go through four three-month phases of training, building the engine, leaning season, athletic domination, and stronger. But the cool part of this program is that it's more than just a training program. Every month, you'll not only get a new workout to follow, but we'll also set monthly challenges where we develop habits in regards to nutrition, recovery, and mindset to help ensure that next year is your best year ever. And trust me, I know the last two years haven't always been kind to our habits and routines, so that portion of the program alone is worth the price of admission. If you're interested in the annual training group, you can learn more at robertsontrainingsystems.com forward slash annual. And if you've got any questions whatsoever, feel free to email me directly at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. Okay, that's enough from me. Thank you so much for listening and I'd love the chance to work with you and help you make 2022 your best year ever. All right, my friends, so let's dive in and talk about these seven strategies that we can use to help you write better training programs. And the first one, okay, I'm gonna show my age right off the bat, but the first one I think you should do is start writing your programs in pencil first, or using a notepad and paper first. Now, maybe it's just me, and I'm almost ashamed to admit this, like I've been writing programs for 21, 22 years now, but I can tell you, uh, especially if it's somebody I've never programmed before, or somebody that I really wanna make sure I give them this great training effect, like I feel pressure when I sit down and I write that first program for them. So instead of sitting down in front of a computer where there is this pressure to create this perfect program right off the bat, when I sit down and I start to sketch it out on paper first, there's this freedom to the entire process. I don't feel constrained to 
following the first thing that I write down. So, you know, it's not uncommon. Like if you saw me rough draft a, a training program, you would be shocked, maybe even appalled because it's not pretty, right? Like there's chicken scratches and there's stuff that's like shorthand and lined out. Uh, and sometimes there's things lined out like two or three times in a row, right? Because it allows me that freedom to make mistakes. And I don't feel like the second I sit down, it has to be perfect because I don't know why that is. And maybe it's just me. Maybe you don't have this issue at all. But I find the second I sit down behind a keyboard, things are immediately harder. I feel this pressure for it to be right. So for me, when I sit down and I use a pad and paper first, it allows me that freedom to sketch things out, to liberally add and delete stuff. It just makes everything so much easier. I feel like it's less pressure. It's definitely easier to edit. And then what I find is too, when I add that step, and I know this isn't cool when you have to add steps to an equation, but I find when I actually add that step in there, when I take it from the paper to the actual program itself, and you can do it in Word, Excel, I use Train Heroic. When I put it in there, it allows me even a little bit more time to tweak and refine the program. So there's numerous times where what I've got on paper is like 90 to 95% correct, but it's not 100%. And when I put it into the actual program software, then it's like, oh, well, that's good, but this would be even better there. So it just gives you another opportunity to tweak it and refine it to make sure it's the absolute best program possible. Now, another benefit that I find when I do stuff on paper first is there's less distraction. I'm really able to get in there, I can disconnect and I can focus on the program because it's great having all this connectivity, but it doesn't matter whether I'm on my phone, my iPad, my MacBook, whatever I have access to also has access to me. So next thing you know, I'm like diving in on this program, I'm doing it on my computer and I'm getting a Slack message from work, I'm getting a text message from a friend, I'm getting a phone call, like there's way too many ways for people to connect and reach out to me. And it's not a bad thing, but there has to be boundaries to that. So when I'm writing a program, I like to put all the electronics away. I like to dive in and really focus on, okay, who is this person? What are they struggling with? How can I help them? And then I start to sketch the entire program out on paper first. And again, it may seem time consuming. It may seem like you're adding an extra step, but I really feel like disconnecting from the technology early on in the process allows you that space and that freedom to create a really solid program. So that's number one, start outlining or sketching your programs in pencil first. I feel like it's a really liberating way to do it. And if you've never tried it before, I'm just telling you, give it a shot. Let me know what you think. It makes a huge impact for me personally on the programs that I write. Number two, question you need to ask yourself, where do we go from here? Now, this is a tough one. And this is something that we've actually done with our interns over the years. So let me give you some insight into the evolution of the program defense that our, our interns go through. So if you came to IFAST and you were an intern, one of your final projects that we would have you do is a program defense. So essentially you would create a program for a client 
at this time we had two different clients, right? So we said, okay, pick a fat loss client and pick an athlete. And the intern would draft a program and basically explain, okay, this is the program. This is why I did this and this and this. So the whole focus of this was to try and understand their thought process, right? Try and figure out how would they build somebody's movement patterns? How would they structure a workout differently for a fat loss client versus an athlete? But one thing that we realized, and I know I definitely realized that after we did this for a couple years, was that, man, they are using like all of their tricks up in this very first program. So instead, what we did was we changed the constraints of how we did the program defense. We said, okay, I don't want you to do two different people anymore. I want you to do one person for two consecutive months. And now this really changed the game because what it forced them to do was, hey, when you write that first program, if you use all your coolest stuff right away, what are you gonna do next month? So now it forces them to think about the process, okay? If you use all these activities in month one, what are you gonna do in month two? How are you gonna continue to build work capacity or movement capacity or whatever other traits you're looking for? All right, so you know, we can do the same thing in our programs too. If our goal is to really wow somebody with that first program and you use all your coolest tools, all your coolest tricks in that first block, you got nothing to do in month two. Okay, so the thing that I need you to think about is don't just think about this one program. One thing that I've said for many, many years is that one program is just one program. You can't get all the physical qualities in there that you want. You can't use all the cool exercises that you love. One program is one program. So instead, start to think about the next couple of programs. Another way to think about this is the, the concept, and I know Joe Kinn has talked about this numerous times, but the idea of slow cooking your clients and athletes. Like put them in a crock pot, don't put them in a microwave. There are certain people where you have a very limited time frame. Maybe you have to get them prepped for camp or something like that. That may be a time where you got to microwave them. You got to do certain things just to make sure they get through camp and they don't get hurt. But in most cases, most people are smart enough to know, hey, look, uh, if I'm coming to this person, I need to give them a certain period of time. So think about how you can slow cook your clients and athletes and how you can use that time to really build a strong foundation underneath them. The bottom line is this. You just got to remember, if you use all your best stuff right off the bat, what are you going to do next? And it's a bad feeling when you feel like, oh man, I've used up all of the stuff that I wanted to do with this person. I've still got one month, two months, three months, years ahead of them. It leads you in a really bad place. So start to think about this now. Where do you go from here? How can you slow cook your clients and athletes and use time to your advantage? All right? So that's a big one. Where do you go from here? Number three, everything matters and doesn't. <laughs> now, I realize it feels like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but when it comes to program design, most of us love to nerd out when it comes to the details, right? Like we love to do it. And in fact, we've got an entire industry and subset of social media that loves to nerd out on like the, the most nuanced piece of an activity. And that's fine. That's fine. Like, don't get me wrong. I like to nerd out on this stuff too. 
I like to pick the absolute best exercise that I think will work for this person. I like to find the ideal set rep scheme. And I think there's an art to this, right? Like knowing where somebody is at physically, where they're at mentally, what they're willing to put up with. I love trying to find that perfect tempo to create the training adaptation that I want. So of course, all of these things matter. But, but sometimes I think we need to put all that aside and we need to get in the gym and we need to get after it. And I realize that's probably not a super popular opinion right now. But I'm just telling you, sometimes I think we add so much complexity, so much needless complexity to our exercise programs, it actually hinders our clients and athletes' ability to go in the gym and just get after it. So there's this, there's this fine line, and I, again, I realize it probably feels like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think this is a very yin and yang thing. There's this element of thinking a program through, choosing the best exercise, trying to find the right tempo. But again, if, if there's so much stuff built up in there that somebody can't go in and execute the program at a high level, I feel like you start to sacrifice intensity or you start to sacrifice certain elements of the program and it ultimately will hold them back. So I think as coaches, one of our jobs, one of our biggest foci when we're writing a program is trying to find this balance between sweating the details, sweating the small stuff, and then finding ways to work up an actual sweat in the gym. There is definitely a fine line and there's definitely a balance here. So this is one of those things where it's hard to like say, oh, scientifically I need to do this or that. This is more the art of program design. And it's something that takes time. And trust me, you're gonna make this mistake. I know I have done this myself where I thought I have written this perfectly crafted program and I finish it and I walk away from my computer and I print it out and I'm like, this is beautiful. This is exactly what this person needs. And then I go in the gym and they execute it and I'm like, this is trash. <laughs> this is not working the way that I think that it should. Or they're not able to execute it the way that I think they should. Or they're not as intense as they need to be to get the training effect that I want. Okay, so just remember that all of these details matter. We love to nerd out on it. It's part of what makes us great. It's part of what continues to drive us as trainers and coaches. So don't give up on that. Just understand that, hey, there is this balance between writing that perfect training program and allowing them to go in the gym and execute it at a high level too. Number four, create better supersets with layers. Layering is absolutely one of my favorite tools when it comes to superset design. I'll be honest, like I've been talking about this since at least 2004 and 2005. If you go back to Eric Cressy and I's Neanderthal No More series on T Nation, which believe it or not, is still there and still not a bad training program. I mean, I've seen way worse training programs over the years, and that's something Eric and I put together almost 15, 16 years ago now. But we were talking about layering way back then, talking about supersetting a glute bridge with a hip flexor stretch. Now our understanding as to why those things work has evolved quite a bit since 2004. But the fact of the matter is layering supersets work incredibly well, okay? 
It's a fantastic way to help your clients and athletes move better. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this, here are some examples that might help you out. Let's say somebody is struggling to squat. Maybe they struggle with a posterior weight shift, right? They don't have this A to P expansion. They can't fill up or expand the backside of their body. They can't find their heels. So a layering superset that I might use is a PVC squat. So grab a PVC pipe, stand next to a rack or squat rack, whatever, some immovable object, and you're basically going to hang out in the bottom of your squat. Maybe you elevate your heels, maybe you don't, but you're going to camp out in the bottom of that squat and you're going to work on breathing. You're going to work on filling up your thorax front to back to try and create space. So you're going to take that PVC squat and then you're going to use that and layer in another activity, generally a squatting variation, a goblet squat, two kettlebell front squats, something of that nature that layers in and reinforces that pattern. Then you're going to take a break. Then you're going to do it again. You're going to do the PVC squat, work on that A to P expansion, work on breathing, work on finding the heels, and then you're going to come back and you're going to do another set of your squatting activity. Okay, so that's one way you can do it. You can use it to pattern and layer in better movement into your squat. Another superset strategy that I really like is something in half kneeling, right? And we can talk about creating space, expansion, compression, lengthening hip flexors. I don't care how you think about it. But half kneeling activities that in general try and create space on the front side of the hip, right, or stretch or lengthen a hip flexor, do a half kneeling activity and then pair it with a core training activity like a dead bug, uh, like a wall press ab variation. So what you do is you basically create space on the front side. Uh, you lengthen or stretch the hip flexor again. I don't care how you think about it because lots of people like to argue about what we're actually doing here, but you do that and you take away that hip flexor's ability to control everything and now you make your abs and your core do the work for you instead, okay? Uh, another one that we use all the time in the gym to create better lateral movement. Maybe we're gonna do some form of a fake throw. So you're shuffling to one side and you're you know, aggressively acting like you're gonna throw a med ball and then you don't. So you get this the shuffling activity, you create stiffness at the end, just like if you were coming into a cut, right? So maybe you do a fake throw. Then you layer in a lateral jump and hold where you're producing and then slowing down forces, right? So lateral jump and hold, some people call them hydens. And then you layer in something active, like an actual defensive slide, right? Maybe you do a mirror drill against a partner or another athlete, but these are all different ways you can layer movements in your programs to get a better training effect, right? Because you're constantly giving the client or the athlete pieces of the movement and eventually and hopefully if you do the right activities, when they go back to the full movement itself, it's cleaner, it's more refined, okay? They're better able to execute it with a technique that you uh, are comfortable with. So... If you want to start doing this, I would say the biggest thing you need to start with is asking yourself, what are the key pieces of this movement? What am I missing? Right? So if we go back to our squat example and somebody can't fill up uh, their thorax A to P, they can't create that space to allow them to sit down in their squat. That's the key piece of the movement that we're trying to fix. So we give them that PVC squat, create that space 
and then we layer in a dynamic activity on top of it. All right, that's how we would do it there. Uh, if we're talking about something lateral or frontal plane, imaginary frontal plane, <laughs> however you want to think about it, when we're talking about side to side movement, you've got to be able to produce force and you got to be able to absorb force or redirect force. So ask yourself, what are the key pieces of the movement? And then how can you layer in individual pieces or elements to help you build a better whole? So layering supersets are an absolute game changer. If you're not using these, find ways to incorporate them into your workouts. It is an absolute game changer with regards to helping your clients and athletes move more effectively. And again, it's something I've been doing since at least 2004, 2005 with great success. A lot's changed about my programs, but using layering supersets is something that I will probably use my entire career. Okay, number five. This is a fairly short one, but I think it's very important. All programs are just educated guesses. Look, no program is ever perfect. Even if you're like tweaking it and refining it as you go and you think, oh, this, this activity is better than this one or oh, uh, eight reps is not enough, but 10 is perfect. Like even as you go, we're constantly chasing a moving target. So it's really important that you know, look, there is no such thing as a perfect program. And in fact, if you're a young coach, here's something you really need to need. You, you, really, you really need to hear. The best program designers out there make tons of mistakes. Because look, we're really just guessing as to how somebody will respond. Now here's the big thing between somebody that's done this for one year and somebody that's done it for 20 years. Somebody that's doing this or has done this for an extended period of time is just less wrong. They've seen more. Their ability to predict what a given client or athlete can or can't do is superior to yours. And that's fine. There's no way you make up for that 19 years without a lot of reps and a lot of experience. It takes time. But I think this is something that young coaches need to hear because they, you know, assume that every person out there they assume Mike Robertson, Eric Cressy, Bill Hartman, Joel Jamison, Lee Taft, like we write these perfect programs every single time and it's just not the case. We're wrong a lot less than we used to be, but we're not perfect. We're not infallible. Neither are you. That's okay. Your goal over time is to have a better understanding and to make better educated guesses as to what your clients and athletes need. Okay. Number six, this one's a big one too. The goal is adaptation, not overwhelm. Now here's what I mean by this. Have you ever seen a program? I've seen a lot of programs over the years. Have you ever seen a program that looks like this? There's 30 exercises. There's 25 coaching cues. For every comment section, there's like a paragraph or small novel written with a ton of fancy words on how to perform the movement. Now, if you've seen that program, I want you to think. Lay person picks up that program, gin pop client, uh, high school or college age athlete picks up that program. How well do you think that client or athlete is gonna be able to execute that exercise or that workout program? If you don't know, I'll tell you, it's not gonna be good. It's gonna be ugly. 
they are gonna default to the lowest common denominator. And if it says bicep curl and you have 20 fancy words or cues after it, they're just going into the gym and doing bicep curls for whatever set rep scheme you provided. That's it. Because that's all they can stand. That's all they can tolerate. Okay? So this is something that's really important. And I think young coaches, maybe not so much, but like that, that middle ground coach, right? You've been doing this for more than a couple years. You've accumulated some knowledge. You've taken some courses. You've done some certs. Like, you know what you're doing. A lot of times there's this inherent need to show your clients and your athletes how smart you are. I've done it. Hate to admit it, I've done it. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Skip this phase, right? Nobody cares how smart you are. They don't care how many fancy words you knew, right? It's about helping the client or the athlete that you're working with get a great training response to your session. That's it. You don't get better results by using fancier words. Nobody cares about myofibrillar hypertrophy. Nobody cares about you know, the 20 or whatever muscles it is that connect to the scapula. They care about, hey, can this person help me lose 20 pounds? Can this person help me build the 10 pounds of muscle that I want? Can they help me increase my squat by 50 pounds so I can go compete in that powerlifting meet? They care about, hey, can this person help me shave two tenths of a second off my 40 so that I can go play college football? Like that's what people care about. So when you're writing a program, Lowest common denominator. I'm not saying you water things down, but make it easy. Make it easy to buy in. Make it easy to train hard. Because too often, we focus more on showing how smart we are versus just getting the training adaptation that our clients and our athletes want. Okay? One more. And I think of all of them, this is the most important. And this is the one that I always talk about with young coaches, with interns, because it's probably the most important piece of writing a good program. I call this the one thing principle, okay? Now, my guy, Dan John, I I love Dan John. If you don't know who Dan John is, go learn more about Dan John. If you're young, he may not resonate with you yet. At some point in your life, you'll read Dan John stuff and you'll be like, okay, I get it, I get it. And Dan John, said probably 10 years ago now, the goal is to keep the goal, the goal. (laughs) It sounds kind of silly, but it's a true Dan Johnism. if I've ever heard of one. The goal is to keep the goal, the goal. So how does this apply to program design? Well, I see far too many programs that want to check all the boxes and by extension, effectively check none. Now, here's what I mean by that. When young coaches and a lot of times people that have not designed a lot of programs sit down to write a program, they make this mistake of, well, what do I want to get out of this program? I want to improve mobility. Uh, I want more power. Uh, They got to be stronger. I want to build muscle. I want to shed body fat. Uh, I need to make sure they're well conditioned. So you start making this laundry list or like this wish list of stuff that you want this person to achieve and By extension, when you throw all these things into a program, it muddies the waters and your body essentially gets all these different signals and doesn't know how to respond to it. So if you're trying to chase all of these different training qualities or all these different adaptations in one program, you effectively hit none of them versus just saying very clearly, hey, 
look, our goal is strength. We're going to do low reps. We're going to do fairly high intensity. We're going to do big bang lifts and we're going to walk out of the gym. Strength. Or we're going to shed body fat. We're going to do higher volume, incomplete rest. We're going to dial in our nutrition and we're done. Right? Like being able to put those blinders on is such an important piece of writing a great program. Trying to cut away everything else. And again, it comes down to this idea of one program is just one program. Now, a lot of times people say, well, how do athletes do it? Athletes are mobile and they're fast and they're strong and powerful and well-conditioned. And so this is the discussion that I have with my athletes. Like, look, we can do all those things. I can give you all those physical qualities, but I can't raise your capacity and all those things in the in one training program. It comes down to an entire off season of work. So we're gonna refine your movement capabilities in that first block. In that second block, now we're gonna start to increase your force production, your strength. We're gonna introduce some lower level power and conditioning elements. Then as we move on in the off season, now we're gonna put strength on the back burner. We're gonna maintain it, but we're gonna make sure you're fast and you're explosive and your conditioning is where it needs to be so that when you go on to a field quarter pitch for your first preseason session, you're absolutely ready to crush people. But you can't do it all at once. Okay? So the one thing principle is this. If you ever get stuck writing a program, ask yourself this. If you can only accomplish one goal with this program, what would it be? One. You don't get two. You don't get three. You don't get four. You get one thing. If you can only accomplish one goal with this program, what would it be? And then get clear. What is it? Do you want to improve movement quality? Somebody's banged up. They're injured. You want to help them move better. Somebody wants to shed body fat. Somebody wants to build muscle, get stronger, shave time off their 40 or improve their vertical jump. Get very crystal clear on what you want to get out of this program. And it's going to make writing that program infinitely easier. All of a sudden, it's going to be like, wow, you can just shove all this stuff off to the side. Yeah, I'd like to use it at some point. It's not important now. This is what I need to do right now. All of a sudden, your role, your job as a program designer is so much easier. So that should be your goal. Always ask yourself, if you get stuck or you get confused or things start to get muddy when you're writing a program, ask yourself, what is the one thing I need to accomplish for this program to be successful. All right, my friend, that does it. So seven simple tips to help you write better programs. Go through them real quick in summary fashion. Number one, write in pencil. Less stress, less pressure, less distraction, and it gives you that freedom to make mistakes. Start sketching your programs out in pencil. I really think it's gonna make a positive impact. Number two, Where do you go from here? Don't use all your cool stuff in the first program. Play the long game. How can you slow cook your clients and athletes so that you can train them for a lifetime, not just a month or two? Number three, everything matters and doesn't. Use the details. Nerd out. Do all that stuff. But also find that balance. Blend the art and the science to make sure that your clients can go in the gym and they can train at a high level, that they're not overwhelmed. 
Number four, create better supersets with layers. Telling you, go-to strategy for me for 15, 16 years now. Find ways to layer in appropriate movements. Build better movement patterns. Because regardless of you know, what your client or athlete does, right, what they do in the gym, outside of the gym, creating better movement is rarely a bad thing. Number five, understand all programs are educated guesses. We don't know everything. We're not always right. Even the highest level program designers are generally just less wrong than you. So understand we're all guessing and make it your goal over time to just be more educated with your guesses. Number six, the goal is adaptation, not overwhelm. Nobody cares how smart you are. They don't care how many courses you've taken. They don't care how many letters you have after your name to show how smart you are. All people care about is getting the result in the gym. Don't overwhelm them. Help them get the adaptations they want and they will love you forever. Last but not least, the one thing principle. When you get confused, when things get muddy, when you get overwhelmed, ask yourself if you can only accomplish one goal with this program, what would it be? And then you can thank me and say, Mike, thank you for making my life so much easier as a program designer. I love you. Okay, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoy doing stuff like this. Uh, If you did, please go to wherever you consume podcasts right now, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, hit the subscribe button right now so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.